It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hang on the Hoyland, Land, Land Grant Hoyland's flagship podcast. I'm your host, Gene Ross, joined, as always, by Josh Dooley. And Josh, uh, this is it. We have arrived. This is the big one, uh, the moment we have all been waiting for. Everything up to this point has really just been preseason. This is now a, a one-game season for Ohio State here. Undefeated Ohio State versus undefeated Michigan in the biggest game since 2006. Um Really just everything we could have hoped for coming into the season. This is the game we, we expected to have, but we thought, you know, maybe something funky would happen along the way because these things never really play out how you expect them to in the preseason. But nonetheless, we have come to this moment, the biggest game of the year in college football. All eyes this weekend will be on Columbus, Ohio. How are you feeling, Josh? I know we talked a little before the podcast. You're nervous. I'm nervous. But how are we feeling on, you know, this being Tuesday? How are we feeling at this current moment? Terrible. Um, I'm an absolute wreck. You know, it's funny. You said uh, this is what we've been waiting for, and that's true. And now I can't wait for it to be over. Just uh, a ton of emotions, uh, a ton of thoughts rolling through my mind. It's it's going to be a super exciting game, but the lead up is always so nerve wracking. And it's just because, look, I can only imagine what it's like for the players, but as fans, and especially you and I, and you know the people at Land Grant and Ohio State fans in general, like. We love our Buckeyes, man, and like this game means a whole heck of a lot to us. I'm gonna love the Buckeyes, win, lose, or draw, but it definitely peaks the anxiety, but it also creates good content, I think, I hope. A bunch to talk about here in the podcast and a bunch of other things to talk about and just a crazy weekend ahead. So I'm as ready as I'm going to be, but I'm gonna have butterflies all week, that's for sure. Yeah, me too. And and before we jump into this game, because there is a, a ton to talk about, obviously, leading up to this huge matchup, uh, I did want a chance to be a hater for a minute because that is something that I just love to do. Um, unrelated to the game, but related to Ohio State, kind of news that came out today. Um, they announced the finalists for the 2022 Collegiate Butkus Award winners. Um, well, or the award, you know, recipients, the, the, the I don't know, the... What am I trying to? What word I'm trying to go? Yeah, finalists. I guess it's just the word. Um, five finalists. You know, and some names you you recognize. Jack Hamble. You know, among one of one of the bigger names on there from Iowa. But a, a name left off this list, and one that has irked me, and I'm sure irks Josh even more because of his relation to this player. Um, Tommy Eichenberg left off this list. Now, pretty absurd, just as as a, a general aside, like uh, opposed to whoever else is on there. Like that's just crazy to think about that he's not on this list in general because of how well he's played. But looking at some of the other names on this list, you know, the one that really stands out to me, and I don't want to disparage this kid too much because I have no problem with him. He's probably, you know, a good player and a, and a fine fellow. But um, 
Jamon Dumas Johnson of Georgia is is listed on this list and not Tommy Eichenberg. And just looking at their their two stats comparatively, um, Dumas Johnson, 54 tackles, 37 solo. Eichenberg, 105 tackles, 67 solo. Seven tackles for loss for Dumas Johnson, 12 for Tommy Eichenberg. Uh, comparative sacks, three for Dumas Johnson, two and a half for Tommy Eichenberg. And then Tommy Eichenberg also has a pick six on top of that. So not really sure how Eichenberg got left off this list. You know, I'm not, I'm, I, I pointed out Dumas Johnson specifically, but just in general, um, kind of crazy that for, you know, for one of the best players on one of the top defenses in the country, for him to be left off the Buckus Award list um, is, you know, it's it's frustrating. You know, these awards are, you know, we don't, we know these awards don't always get everything right. You know, there's there's been times where, you know, big name players have not made the list because, you know, a lot of these national media people that, that work on these lists don't really fully watch all the games because you can't really fully watch them. So they're just going based on narrative and whatnot, but still, um, at the end of the day, really not something worth getting worked up about, especially during this specific week, but frustrating to see that uh, Eichenberg is not being recognized fully for his efforts this year because he has been so crucial to this Ohio State defense. It's a travesty, Gene. It's exactly what it is. You know, excuse me, you're right. You don't want to bang on any of these other guys that are nominated or or semifinalists or finalists for the Buckus Award. You hit on Dumas Johnson and his stats even even the sack numbers, he has three on the season, two of which came against Kent State. Um, going a little bit further, looking at Tommy Eichenberg's numbers, he had seven-plus tackles in all but two games. I think he has four double-digit tackle games. And the thing for me is he is the leader of a unit which has done you know a, a complete 180. And this was a huge bugaboo for Ohio State's fans, its players, its staff last year prevented them you know it is what it is from winning or being in college football playoff contention potentially reaching it last year and yeah I mean I think it's really unfair I think Tommy absolutely deserves it he's been a hell of a football player and a great leader for this Ohio State football team and you look at some of the other things and the other candidates here Tommy Eichenberg is third in the country with 67 solo tackles now you can debate solo versus assisted tackle. I, I don't know what the importance of those things are, but some of the other guys on the list, you're looking at 30, 40 solo tackles, a ton of assists. I know the kid from Arkansas, I think he has 37 solo tackles on the year. Now he has eight and a half sacks, but he's a, a bit of like a, a three, four outside backer. He gets after the quarterback a bunch. That's his role, his responsibility, but Arkansas has the number 93 scoring defense in the country. So, um, yeah, man, it's a bummer. But again, you don't want to knock these other guys. When it comes to Georgia, a lot of their players, they're not going to put up like jaw dropping stats because one through 11, they're they're all great and they're off the field seemingly after three plays every drive. And, And we saw that with some of the guys last year, even N'Kobe Dean kind of dropped down in the draft a lot some of it was size and injury but I think he was knocked down even further because of the talent around him that's not really the case or or it shouldn't be the case with Tommy Eichenberg you know he's got some some studs around him for sure but he's 40 tackles ahead of the second leading tackler for this team and just all the things that he does uh, and all the intangibles that he brings to the field I think he was absolutely deserving and you can even go uh, in another direction here I saw where Marvin Harrison Jr., he's a Bolitnikoff semifinalist or finalist wherever they're at in the stages right now, but pretty far back in the voting from what I saw. 
Um, so some disrespect potentially, but I hope that Tommy Eichenberg and Marvin Harrison Jr. and whomever else, I hope that they use that as fuel because, you know, I, I don't know what fuels, I guess, Tommy Eichenberg. I, I think it's piss and vinegar or maybe motor oil and beef jerky. I don't know. He's just, he's that kind of guy. I hope he uses that as motivation for the game this Saturday. Same thing goes for Marvin Harrison Jr. I hope those guys show out. And in my opinion, it sounds like your opinion too, they're definitely worthy of more recognition than they're probably getting right now. Yeah, as if Ohio State's players and fans needed more of a reason to be worked up this week. That just kind of added a little additional fuel to the fire. But that being said, back to the task at hand here. As we look at this matchup, you know, like I said, this is number two Ohio State at 11-0, and taking on number three Michigan, also at 11-0 and with a spot in the Big Ten title game and likely the college football playoff on the line. You know, this matchup is already the greatest, greatest rivalry in all of sports on any, you know, given year. But this year's contest just has so much extra juice. It's the really the most monumentous meeting between the two schools since the game of the century back in 2006, like I alluded to earlier. You know, Ohio State coming off that 42-27 to loss to Michigan last year, their first loss in the series since 2011. The Buckeyes have not lost at home against Michigan since the year 2000. And, you know, you throw on top of all that the added heat of Jim Harbaugh's comments about Ryan Day last year, Ohio State's toughness, whatnot, after the Wolverines won that game. So this one truly has it all from a storyline perspective, not that the game ever really needs any of that additional, you know, extracurricular storyline stuff. But, you know, just looking at this matchup, before we get into this one specifically, Josh, I wanted to talk about some of our, you know, our favorite memories from this historic rivalry. I was really only introduced to college football when I came from New York to Ohio State in 2014. Uh, I was proud that the Buckeyes were undefeated against Michigan during my time as a student. Um, I got to watch that 2016 walk-off winner by Curtis Samuel in person at Ohio Stadium. Uh, that play, as well as the Malik Hooker pick six in the same game, are two of my you know personal top favorite moments in recent memory in this series. Uh, but Josh, I know your, your history in this rivalry goes back a little further than mine what has stood out to you in this game over the years and you know what gets you excited for this one you know as as we approach this game this week yeah I grew up in it so every week this time of year uh, I am just beyond excited it really has nothing to do with Thanksgiving but um every each and every year means something it doesn't matter if Ohio State or Michigan were Oh, and 11 coming into this one. It is, it's a battle. It's a war. And just the intensity is what really stands out to me. You've seen the, the clips from the past, whether it was David Boston fighting Charles Woodson or any number of kind of other memorable scenes where the intensity really boiled over. Um, Marcus Hall flipping the double birds after he got ejected. Those are just a couple of the things that jump out, not really on the field, <clears throat> but in general. And it, it really is the greatest rivalry in sports, I think. And you can, you know, you can talk about Celtics Lakers, you can talk about Yankees Red Sox, but this game goes back a hundred plus years. The Overall record is inching closer and closer to being even. And this matchup in particular, you know, this is the 13th time that these two teams have met while both are ranked inside the top five of either the AP voting or the CFP poll. So um, it, it really doesn't get much bigger than this. And 
the fact that both of these teams are undefeated, it just, it really gets the blood pumping, man. It gets your heart racing. And truthfully speaking, I, I think I liked it a little bit better when the team up North was average or below average, like give me Shea Patterson or John O'Corn, please. But this is going to be intense. I think the Wolverines are 100% legit and a real threat here. And you know, I'll bring up a couple other moments and then I'll kick it back to you. I don't know if you had anything else before you want to jump into this, but uh, a couple things jump out or a couple years jump out to me. I'm going to age myself a little bit, but when I was in college, I remember my best friend and I, we drove up to Ann Arbor on a whim. We paid like 300 bucks each for a ticket to sit in the big house. And Chris Perry ran all over the Buckeyes. I don't know if you remember Chris Perry or not former uh, Michigan and Cincinnati Bengal legend, a.k.a. Bust. But, um, you know, he just ran it down Ohio State's throat, and they won that game. And then the other one, much better memory, was I think John Navarre was the the quarterback for Michigan. And both teams were ranked highly. I I don't forget. I, I don't remember the year. Honestly, it may have been 06. I would have to go back and look. They all sort of blend together. But it was a, uh, a big matchup. Ohio State won the game late, and we all rushed the field. And it was a memory that will probably live with me forever, pepper spray included. Um, not, not my fault, but I, I was on the scene. I was in the area, right? And uh, so those are a couple of the things. You, you don't get memories like that from a lot of other rivalries. Uh, I certainly don't. And so this means everything. And I don't want to put too much into it. At the end of the day, it's a game. But it is a game that has always meant a lot to me, and it's a game that I've looked forward to for 364 days. And it's a loop. Every 364 days, you're thinking about the following year. I know Ohio State is too, and it sounds like Michigan is back on that train. Maybe they weren't as uh, you know intense about it in the past within their own program, but I think they are now. And I don't know, man. It's going to be a good one. I can't wait. And... That's about all I got for you, man. I, I wish I could put it into words, but it's really hard to encapsulate. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I think as tough as it was to stomach that loss last year for Ohio State, I think that did add a lot more to this rivalry moving forward. Because, you know, like you said, you know, as fun as it is beating up on your rival every single year, Ohio State went on such a reign of dominance that this almost felt like just another game. And obviously, you know, the history and, you know, the the fire and the rivalry was still all there. But when Ohio State was winning with such regularity by such wide margins, it, it didn't seem like, you know, maybe the Buckeyes weren't taking this as seriously. It seems like some of the players have kind of alluded to that being the fact last year that they kind of just treated it like another game. And now you're back to where Ohio State has been, you know, preparing all year specifically for this Michigan game. You're back to... You know, fans would rather, you know, go 1-11 and with a win over Michigan than 11-1 and with a loss to Michigan. I think you're back to all that, you know, that fire in this in this rivalry between these two teams. And I think that's, that's good for the sport and it's good for this game. You know, it makes it a lot of fun when these two teams are competitive. And, you know, obviously you want Ohio State to win far more often than they lose. But I think that did add a lot more fuel, especially to this year's game. But I think moving forward as well that these two teams are, you know, both at the top of the sport currently. I think that adds a lot to it. And, you know, you look at these two teams now, specifically coming into this Saturday's contest contest both atop the Big Ten Conference in nearly every statistical category, not just in the standings. You know, you look here, Ohio State ranks number one in scoring offense. Michigan ranks number one in scoring defense. Ohio State's number one in total offense. Michigan's number one in total defense. 
Uh, Michigan leads the, t- the uh, conference in rushing yards per game. Ohio State actually leads in, in yards per carry, as, as hard as that is to believe. Um, Ohio State's first in the Big Ten in passing yards per game. Michigan's 10th. Uh, Michigan's first in the passing defense. OSU's 5th. Um, and then OSU and, and Michigan both rank in the top three in sacks and sacks allowed. The list goes on and on. Um, at the end of the day, these two teams are the clear leaders of the Big Ten. This year specifically, they have done so on an even more impressive way as they're two of the top teams in the whole country. And, you know, it's 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 going to be a lot of fun. This is, the, like we said, the biggest game in this rivalry in quite some time. It is, it is you know, hopefully it lives up to the billing that it's achieved. But so far, you know, it's well, coming into the year, we thought that this was a possibility. And it, it, it became everything we thought it could be and more. There is so much on the line here outside the Big Ten. You know, a spot in the college football playoff, a shot at a national championship all on the line. You know, there are some scenarios where these two teams both make the college football playoff regardless of the outcome here, but it is, is far more likely that only one does, and that would be the winner of this game. So um, with everything, you know, coming into it, this is this is probably the biggest Ohio State regular season game since I've been watching the team. Um, obviously, you know, there have been a lot of big games from, you know, when I really started in 2014 to now, but this is the biggest one that I can remember in recent memory with everything that goes into it. It's definitely up there, and I want to hit on your last point, Gene. I want to throw a hypothetical at you, although I, I'm with you. I don't think it's likely. I think this is win and survive, lose, and, you know, kind of start thinking about the Outback Bowl or something like that, probably the Rose Bowl, something like that. But if I gave you a couple of options here, would you rather Ohio State beat Michigan and the Big Ten championship game is a a total unknown, right? You, You have to take your chances, even though you like those chances against whether it's Iowa, Illinois, whatever. Would you rather, you know, take that option or option B is Ohio state loses a close one, but you know, in advance ahead of time that they somehow sneak into the CFP at number four with all the other stuff that may potentially happen. Like what, which one do you prefer? Is it, Hey, beat Michigan. I'll take my chances with the rest or, Hey, I just care about the CFP more so than anything. Yeah. I mean, as crazy as it sounds, I think the goal coming into this season was to beat Michigan. You know, obviously, you know, the, the ultimate goal of this team is to win a national title, but first and foremost, I think you have to, you have to win this game over Michigan. I think regardless of what happens, you know, even if this team were to go on, say they did lose to Michigan, made the college football playoff and went on to win the national title. I think you'd still, you know, a lot of Ohio state fans would feel that the season was tainted by a loss to the Wolverines, especially you know with that coming in back-to-back years. And so I think, as as crazy as it may sound, I think the win over Michigan here is more important than you know the college football playoff and everything that entails. I, I think that um, this is especially for Ryan Day's legacy. This is huge. You can't lose to Michigan two years in a row, especially you know with what Urban Meyer did before him, never losing to Michigan to lose this game twice in a row. There will be a lot of Ohio State fans calling for his head, and I think you know somewhat rightfully so, as we've detailed the past couple of weeks, especially. You know, adding a loss in this game, I think that makes things very complicated here. But yeah, I think that this game is is of the utmost importance. I, I I'm pretty sure. You know, I know this wasn't part of the hypothetical, but I'm pretty confident in Ohio State being able to, you know, pretty easily handle whatever comes out of the West, whether it be Iowa or or, or Illinois or what have you. But um, I, I think that this game is is what all the focus has been on all off season, all regular season. Ohio State has been preparing for nothing but this football game, and so if they come out here and they're you know not prepared to win it. I don't really care what happens after that because this is what the, the goal has been. Even though there are larger goals, this has been the one at the forefront of everyone's mind. Yeah, so I asked you the question without my own answer sort of formulated or in mind. I, I really don't know where I'm at. Um, a national title means 
a whole heck of a lot, right? That's the ultimate prize. And, you know, you'd give a pinky finger to, to guarantee Ohio State a national title. But, damn, do you really want to beat Michigan? You know, um, especially after last year, you're right. And so it, it, it makes you think it's definitely worth an argument uh, or, or a debate. But, yeah, I just I don't even know where I could come down. I feel like this, though. If Ohio State were to beat Michigan and they lose a tough one in the CFP, like I could still look at this season and be like, you know what? That was a very successful season. Yeah, didn't catch every break, lost to a good team, whether that's Georgia or, you know, whomever. You can still you can still keep your chin up with that. Right. Whereas if you lose to Michigan, uh, you would you'd have to win a national title to even be like, yeah, that was still a really good season. But this Michigan game means so, so much that that's what makes it worthy of an argument or a hypothetical or, or something like that. So, yeah, I, uh, I I will say, though, if you gave me the option of a good Michigan team or a bad Michigan team, I, I'll take the bad one. 10 times out of 10. I don't care if they were 0-11 and in Ohio State, you know, stomps them into the ground. Uh, I would, I'd much rather have a walkover, but I don't think that's going to be the case this weekend. Oh yeah, don't get me wrong. I will take 0-12 Michigan with like a 70-point loss to Ohio State every year, but that is not, not the current reality we live in. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, just looking at sort of this matchup this year, it's, it's you know, these teams are 2-3 and three in the country. It's kind of tough to even really get a true read on either squad with the schedules they've played um, we know Michigan's played one of the weakest non-conference schedules in the entire country. According to ESPN, only UCLA's was worse. Uh, Michigan, of course, played Colorado State, Hawaii, and UConn as their three non-conference games, so we learned really nothing there. Ohio State's non-conference looks a lot better than it did earlier in the year. You know, Notre Dame is kind of rounded into form. Could be a top 15, top 12 team by season's end. Um, you know, Toledo has put together a pretty solid season. They won the MAC West, chance to win that conference, even though it's you know at a lower level, still a decent season for them. Um, you look in-conference... Schedule is pretty comparable um, against the six shared opponents in the Big Ten. Ohio State outscored Michigan 295 to 214. Michigan did win by a larger margin against Penn State. They won by 24 versus Ohio State winning by 13. But Ohio State scored more points in the game, 44 versus Michigan's 41. Um, OSU beat Iowa 54 to 10 compared to Michigan's 27 to 14 win versus the Hawkeyes. Um, obviously, none of that matters now, but it's just really hard to gauge these teams against one another because they play such different styles. You know, Michigan is much more defense-oriented, strong run game um, with or without Blake Horn, which we'll get to. But and then Ohio State, obviously, the the passing attack uh, is far superior to that of Michigan's, but maybe a, a bit of a lesser defense. So kind of hard to compare two teams that play two, di- two different styles. I know total points scored is not the end-all, be-all, especially because of the way Michigan plays and their their defensive-oriented you know approach to the football, but. Um, it's kind of hard, even sitting here 11 games into the season with both teams undefeated, it's it's still sort of hard to figure out how these two teams match up against one each other because they play so differently. And even though they've, they've shared opponents, I don't think we really learned much outside of the Big Ten, and I don't think the Big Ten was particularly great across the board this year. So I am still you know very intrigued of what we see from both these teams because I still don't think we have a perfectly clear picture of what either side is just yet. I played the same game you did, trying to look at schedule and be like, oh, oh you know, I could point to this, I could point to that. I, <clears throat> I I tried to look at the higher level Big Ten shared opponents. That's a mouthful. But, you know, Michigan forced Talia Tagovailoa to throw two picks. I think he threw for like 225 yards uh, when Michigan played 
uh, Maryland. So they had the better performance against the Terps, and you know they they beat the brakes off of Penn State. Sean Clifford was terrible in that game, whereas he threw for 300 plus against the Buckeyes. But Michigan played both of those opponents at home, whereas Ohio State had to go on the road uh, to State College and College Park. And so, yeah, you could there, there are so many layers. You can try and do this and that. I think you hit on most of it. Um, I do think that if Michigan, if Ohio State were to win, Michigan were to lose, I think then you could maybe look at the non-con and be like, you know, Michigan may not have been as battle-tested as Ohio State because Notre Dame looks like a pretty darn good football team now. You mentioned Toledo. Um, but then there are all the shared opponents. So that's a, a dangerous game to play. I don't think that it really proves a whole lot one way or another because you're right. It, it comes down to this. This is a singular entity. This is a one of one. This is the game, right? And it's the rivalry. So I sort of throw all of that stuff out the window as much as I'd like to hang on to it and be like, oh, well, Michigan only put up 27 against Iowa or it's not a shared opponent. But you look at last week, Michigan did not score a touchdown in the final 56 minutes of regulation against Illinois. It's throw it all out. This is one of one. This is what it all comes down to. And um, last week, really, you could say that both teams maybe had each other on the brain. So another reason to throw it all out. It's. It's going to be interesting. I think it's strength against strength and, you know, who can find the opponent's weakness. And I know that's what we're going to get into. But, yeah, like I was saying, I played I tried to play the same game. And then I said, you know what, Josh, it's just not worth it because we could have done the same thing last year and expected a different result than what we got. You can do that year in, year out, and it's not going to matter except for the Saturday after Thanksgiving, that day, that game and the end result. Yeah, and before we get into like the nitty gritty of the numbers of this year's squad uh, that Michigan has, I do want to kind of just briefly mention. You know, you brought up last year's game and how we we didn't really know what we were going to get in that one either. I, I do think that Ohio State has made significant strides this year. Obviously, on defense, we knew what they were last year. We knew all year last season that that this Ohio State defense was not any good. Their secondary didn't play well. They were terrible against the run. That came to play against Michigan. Michigan really ran all over them. Hassan Haskins had like a billion yards and five touchdowns in this game. And, you know, Michigan didn't really have to throw the ball at all to win that game. They were just running it up the middle and getting whatever they wanted. And you look at this year's Ohio State defense now under Jim Knowles. They've been much, much better against the run. We talked about a guy like Tommy Eichenberg. He's been instrumental in that role. Same with Steel Chambers up the middle. Same with this defensive line and all the safeties, um, just a really good unit at stopping the run. And like you said, this is a strength-on-strength strength matchup. We're going to get into that in a bit. Michigan's run offense versus Ohio State's run defense will be a huge matchup in this game. And then on the flip side, you look at this Michigan team, they lost a ton of talent from last year's playoff squad. Um, you know, obviously Aiden Hutchinson, David Ajabo, names like that, guys that are, you know, Aiden Hutchinson's playing fantastic in the NFL right now. Losing a guy like that is huge, but they still have a very stout defense. They still have a very stout offensive line. And so these two teams, while, you know, things didn't go well for Ohio State last year, I think these are two very different teams. I think Ohio State made the biggest improvement in their biggest weakness from last year's game. And so I'm interested to see how that looks. And, you know, especially given some of the 
the individual things going on with some of those particular aspects being the Michigan run game and the health of some of their guys and Ohio State's run game as well in that same regard. Um, I am interested to see, you know, if those things come to pass, you know, will that, will Ohio State's run defense be improved enough to stop this Michigan, uh, Michigan offense? Will this uh, Ohio State offense look better than they did last year against, you know, Michigan's defense, even though CJ Stroud still had a good game last year, you know, all things considered. Um, so I think the, you know, these two teams and their growth and their change from last year is very interesting looking at these games. It's definitely interesting. I think that I feel a little bit better, a lot better about Ohio State's defense this year, but a little bit worse about their offense. That's because, look, you can talk about Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Egbuka, and I, I love those guys, but there was something about the the safe feeling, I thought, going into last year's game uh, of having Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Those guys are all presumably gone. We don't know about JSN yet, and they've been replaced by absolute studs, but I just feel like Gosh, going into last year's game, I was like, Ohio State's offense cannot be stopped. And they they sort of worked, but Michigan did enough on defense, and Ohio State's defense was not up to the challenge. Whereas this year, I think they're they're in a much better place. So it's tough to even compare last year's game. There are differences, but it's like if one side is, is up and the other is down, then everything's sort of level and, and equal to what it was last year. So I tried to ignore that too when I was thinking through podcast prep and just mentally preparing myself for it. It's what have we seen this year? I think that's the way that we really have to break it down. I think that's what you probably want to get to. Yeah, so let's do that. Let's take a look at this year's Michigan squad. Uh, starting with their offense, this Wolverines offense has been led all season uh, by its Heisman candidate running back in Blake Corum. Uh, the five foot eight, two hundred pound junior has amassed over fourteen hundred yards on nearly six yards per carry and eighteen touchdowns. Simply one of the best running backs in all of college football. He literally and figuratively has carried the Wolverines' offense all year. But of course, the big story this week is his knee injury against Illinois. He was knocked out late in the first half with an apparent injury uh, against the Illini. Tried to give it a go in the second half. Wound up sitting out the rest of the game. His loss would be a massive blow to this Michigan team. You know, Donovan Edwards was also sitting out last week with an undisclosed injury. It does sound like, you know, he will be back one way or another. But to lose a guy like Corum, you know, he's got nearly a thousand more yards on the season than Edwards. And like I said, is one of the best running backs in the entire country. Ohio State, you know, will obviously have to still game plan for a fully healthy Corum just in case. And, you know, their coaching staff basically said as much in their Tuesday press conference. But nonetheless, it cannot be overstated how big of a loss um, that would be if Corum is not, you know, able to go or not able to go at 100% because of how important he has been to this Michigan offense. Um, at quarterback, J.J. McCarthy has been you know good but not great this year. He hasn't turned the ball over a ton. He's only thrown two picks through 11 games, but he also, you know, he isn't asked to do a lot. It's very similar to that of, you know, Stetson Bennett at Georgia or even how Michigan used Cade McNamara last year. You know, he's under 2,000 yards passing on the season with 14 touchdowns. Much different offense, but, you know, comparatively, you know, Stroud has nearly 3,000 yards and 35 touchdowns at this point. Um, he struggled with the deep ball, but like McNamara last year, he has been good at, at you know keeping the offense on schedule. He can also run a little bit. He has over 200 rushing yards and three scores on the ground. Um, to his credit, you know his receiver core hasn't really done a lot to help him out either. Uh, Ronnie Bell is far and away the biggest threat through the air on this team. 614 yards on the year to lead Michigan, but only two receiving touchdowns on 48 catches. 
Um, tight end Luke Shoemaker has actually been the team's second leading receiver with 30 catches and only 315 yards. Um, also of note, Shoemaker dressed for Illinois but did not play. Sounds like he'll be able to go this year, but also another thing to keep an eye on. Um, Cornelius Johnson and Roman Wilson round out this receiver room. Johnson has 300 yards and a team-high four touchdowns. Wilson, 272 and three scores to his own right. Uh, Michigan spreads the ball around a little bit more than Ohio State does, but outside of Bell, uh, none of these guys really do a ton to scare you. They're a solid group, but not one that I would say is you know elite or dynamic in any significant way. Um, up front, however, Michigan is definitely elite when it comes to offensive line play. The Wolverines rank in the top 20 nationally in nearly all of the analytic uh, offensive line stats. Um, they're first in passing down line yards, 17th in average line yards, 16th in power success rate. This is a group that is once again a semifinalist for the Joe Moore Award, which they won as a unit last year. They're a large reason why the Wolverines rank fourth nationally in rushing yards per game. And of course, Corum is great, but this offensive line is supremely talented and has helped them get there. So, um, you know, just looking at this as a whole, there is no chance we will know anything about the status of Corum until kickoff on Saturday. Um, Harbaugh, Harbaugh is as tight lipped, if not more, than Ryan Day when it comes to injuries. But like I said, cannot understate how important he is to this Michigan offense. Um, the, you know, running back coach Mike Hart here said that. Uh, the offense moves as Blake moves, um, and that remains true even at this stage in the season. Um, like I said earlier, you know Ohio State has done a tremendous job against the run this year, but that will have to continue here whether Quorum plays or not. Um, the Buckeyes have had their struggles in pass defense, but they're still probably better suited here, forcing McCarthy to throw. This Michigan team is too good at running the football. You have to force them to beat you through the air. The Wolverines didn't need to throw the ball to win last year. You will need to change that to win this time around. This game is the reason you brought Jim Knowles to Columbus. Ohio State has the pieces uh, here to to you know win in the trenches and win on the defensive side of the ball, but they now have to go out and you know actually do it. Absolutely, I want to hit on Blake Corum first. You know, um, most people probably saw or heard about him going out and passing out the Thanksgiving turkeys and things like that. Seems like a great dude. Uh, you wish him no ill will, even if he is a bitter rival, but. I would be elated if he does not play in this game. And and I don't feel bad about saying that. Like It seems like long-term, he's good. Short-term, if he's banged up, so be it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's a stud. Like I said, a good dude. So no ill will there. But I would sleep a little bit easier at night if we knew whether or not he was going to play. But digging into this unit as a whole, I would say that this is the team up north's most talented and efficient offense, possibly talented offense in years. You know, McCarthy is a viable dual threat. He takes care of the ball, even if he's not passing for 300 yards per game. He has a few talented pass catchers. He's protected very well. And then that running game, right? You know, the, the running game is one of the best in college football with more than one capable guy back there. So uh, Michigan's going to figure something out and throw what they can at Ohio State. McCarthy is doing everything asked of him, really. Not a ton more, but that's fine. 67% completion percentage, only the two picks. He executes a Jim Harbaugh influ influenced offense. You know, Jim Harbaugh, I don't... He doesn't call the plays, but you can tell that his fingerprints are on this offense and J.J. McCarthy is carrying out, like I said, what he's asked to do. Um, and we also know that there's a capable backup if something were to happen in Cade McNamara. We haven't seen him in a number of weeks, but he was the starter last year. He's more than capable as a backup. In my opinion, McCarthy is going to have to play pretty well in this one. 
Um, I don't think fine will work because I think Mich- or Ohio State's rush defense is much better than last year, and I think they'll be somewhat effective against the Wolverines. But um, a lot will depend on Corum, you know, and, and you're certainly right. We are not going to know anything until 12.01 probably on Saturday. We don't know who's going to play or how healthy they are going to be. That unit is ob- the running backs are obviously led by Blake Corum. His injury last week had people saying torn ACL immediately. And then he's back out there, although he only carried the ball the one time. If he is like 80 plus percent, my guess is we see him out there. But I can't imagine that he will be at full capacity. He's an absolute stud when he is, though. Donovan Edwards played a little bit against Nebraska, missed the Illinois game. So in and out of the lineup would likely start if Corum were not able to go. And you look at some of his games, he's clearly the second fiddle, but he lit up Penn State and Rutgers. So, and we know his recruiting profile, right? One of the best backs in the country when he came out. So if he's the guy, I don't think Michigan changes a thing. And they try and ride Donovan Edwards. And both of those guys also bring a pass catching element to the team. Maybe not as much this year, but like that's kind of what Blake Corum was known for really until, you know, like last year and even more so this year when he just, you know, was toting the rock constantly, but he's a good pass catcher. Same thing goes for Donovan Edwards. And then, you know, who knows if, if they're both unable to go, CJ Stokes got a bunch of exp- uh, experience last week. Same thing goes for Isaiah Gash, lower level recruits. Um, they have not, they're not nearly as accomplished as the other two guys. But again, if, as long as Michigan has a running back, I don't think they're going to change the game plan at all. They're going to try and lean on the run game, maybe some play action for J.J. McCarthy. So Ohio State should know how to prepare for this one. Even if the variables could change, the game plan defensively should be pretty similar. On the outside, or as far as wide receivers and tight ends go, I think they are actually a little more talented than they get credit for because this team just doesn't air it out, right? They're led by Ronnie Bell. He's had an up and down career, but he's a big play waiting to happen. If they can get him the ball, get him in space. Cornelius Johnson is a big body at 6'3", 210. And Roman Wilson can do some things, although he has faded a little bit since he missed a game earlier this month, I think. Uh, Certainly a diverse group. But then you've also got the tight ends to worry about. If Shoemaker is ready to go, and I assume that he will be just like you do, second leading receiver on the team, a uh, dangerous threat. And then we saw last week Colston Loveland, a high school wide receiver, has filled out and filled in for Shoemaker. He has 90 yards. He had 90 yards in the Wolverines' last two games. So diverse is sort of the the overarching theme for me you've got the big tight ends who are more than capable your tight end your wide receivers are capable of a big play and then you've got a big body in Cornelius Johnson so certainly guys who can make plays out there and you talked about the offensive line strong and experienced up front Uh, I think they're led by Hayes at left tackle and then they've got Oluwatimi in the middle the Virginia transfer this is what Harbaugh wants, right? Big, nasty dudes up front, and and Michigan has them. So I think a lot will be determined by the play in the trenches, that offensive line versus the Ohio State defensive line. It's certainly going to be an interesting battle, but I can at least be, uh, you know, find a little more comfort in the fact that I think that Ohio State's front six, front seven has played very well. So this should be a strength-on-strength matchup when you're looking at Michigan offense, Ohio State defense.
Yeah, I did want to touch on two things here real quickly. It was sort of a um, something that went under the radar last week, but it is worth mentioning. Uh, Cade McNamara is actually out for the year. We only learned this last week. Um, he had, oh, I did not see that. Yeah, okay. he had he had knee surgery, so uh, Michigan doesn't actually have the the quarterback depth that they had earlier in the year. But McCarthy has taken you know the vast majority of the snaps anyway. But you know if something were to happen to him, they don't have the the added bonus of having a veteran like McNamara back there. But um, on the quorum front. Um, I thought it was notable last week that he did try to go in the second half and then wasn't able to um, because this wasn't really a game where Michigan could like afford to sit him um, for the Ohio State game if that was like what was people thought were going on because this was you know as we said this the, the it really took a you know a missed fourth down p- offensive PI call on Michigan for the Wolverines to come out victorious in this game and without already how without, dare Eugene did you just call out college officiating I'm just I'm just reporting what Brett Bielma has to say on Twitter but nonetheless <laughs> um this was a game where you're already up without Donovan Jackson and in the second half without quorum uh, Michigan had 19 rushes for 45 yards so it wasn't like they were able to run the ball without him so if quorum was able to go last week in a game that they nearly lost I think they would have so him not playing in the second half of that game is I think at least significant um, they couldn't, like I said, they, it's not just a, a situation where they could have just afforded to, you know, sit him in preparation for Ohio State. That was a game that they needed to win and didn't have either of their top two running backs. But like I said earlier, you know, they'll even if it is Donovan Edwards leading the pack, they'll be fine. This is a former, you know, five-star recruit at the end of his sophomore year. He is more than capable back there as a runner, especially with how good this offensive line is. But I do expect Corn to play, like you said, even if he's, you know, only 75, 80% effective, even a little bit less I think he'll still give it a go in this game. Whether he's able to, you know, do all the types of things that make him such a good player, you know, him being able to cut is a pretty significant part of his game. And if he's unable to do that with whatever you know injury is ailing him, then that does limit him pretty significantly. But I expect to see him out there. I expect this Michigan offense to continue doing what they have been doing, and it really just comes down to has Ohio State's defense improved as much as we think they have, and can they slow down this rushing attack? Can they force McCarthy to throw? And when they do force him to throw. Um, are their corners able to, you know, defend the pass? We saw them struggle last year against Maryland. I mean, last game against Maryland, sorry. Um, obviously, you know, Maryland, uh, Michigan's passing attack is not as, you know, explosive as Maryland's is on, on some given weeks, but um, still something they have to contend with. Ohio State's corners still do have to defend receivers. Haven't done a great job of that this year. It'll be on, you know, Ohio State's defensive line to get pressure on McCarthy, force him into some worse throws. But this is really going to come down to, like we said, strength on strength. This Michigan rushing offense, whether it's Edwards or Corum versus this Ohio State rushing defense, can they get the job done? I feel pretty good about it, but we still have to see it happen. And the one the one concern that I really have is the pass-catching ability of both Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards, or either, uh, since we don't know, you know, which ones are going to be out there for however many snaps, but you know, you look at Donovan Edwards, especially, and I, I think back to that Maryland game last year, 10 catches for 170 yards. He's been a good receiver this year and we've seen what Corum can do too. So if Michigan, I, I wouldn't say pulls out the tricks, but looks to, you know, hit a wheel route, work the screen game, something like that. Ohio state has not been, they, they've been tested to a certain extent, but I don't know how much like Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers specifically have been tested in pass coverage. So that's definitely something that I'll have an eye out for, because if you want to make your quarterback's job a little bit easier then you look underneath and you, you dump it off to the running backs and, and the tight ends short. So 
they'll have to have a game plan for everything. And I have no doubt in my mind that Jim Knowles will. But in, until you're put into that situation and you're facing that, you, you don't really know how you're going to p- perform. So that's something to look out for. I I really hope that Ohio State's cornerbacks can really ball out this weekend. I think that they'll probably need to have their best game. They clearly did not against Maryland. Uh, I, I don't think that you can play soft six, seven, eight yards off the way they did against the Terps, especially with a strong ga- a strong ground game. You know, you're going to need everyone available to help support the run. So that that lends itself more to maybe playing some more press, co- press coverage, having an eye in the backfield a little bit more often without kind of ignoring your pass coverage responsibilities and getting beat deep. So all of the Ohio State fenders, defenders will be asked to do and be prepared for a lot. But like we both hit on, we think they're in a good place, right? They're they're in a much better place than they were at this time last year. And I expect if Ohio State is to be successful and win this game, I think that both Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers will play very well. And, and that goes for the front six, front seven as a whole. I wrote about Tommy Eichenberg in our Your Nuts piece. If Ohio State's going to win and contain the Michigan run game, there's no way he doesn't have 10 plus tackles. And then maybe Steel Chambers is asked to play in some more coverage. Keep an eye on Coram or Edwards out of the backfield. Try and body up a Shoemaker or uh, Colston Loveland. So it's a bit of a different dynamic, but Michigan for all of their success, you know, and you can't knock it. Like it's a tried and true scheme that they have. It's very old school and they're very good at it, but they're not the most creative offense in the world. So if the fundamentals are there and and you're completing your assignments and your eyes are where they should be, then I, I feel pretty good about Ohio state playing well on defense well enough. We'll see. But uh, I like where that unit's at right now, Maryland game withstanding. Yeah, I agree. And I think we'll see a, a bit of a different game plan than we saw against Maryland. That was really the first time we saw, uh, at least in my memory, Ohio State play that kind of soft coverage. And I think that was kind of an exclusive thing to the way Maryland plays offense. I doubt we will see that this week. But nonetheless, let's flip over to the other side here. Look at Michigan's defense here. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Defensively, this Michigan unit will will provide the stiffest test yet for Ohio State's offensive line. You know, the Buckeyes have only given up seven total sacks on the season, kept C.J. Stroud, you know, largely clean, but this Wolverines D-line will put them to the test. Uh, Michigan and Ohio State have actually both exactly 31 sacks on the year. Uh, Michigan's front, led by defensive end Mike Morris. Morris leads the team with 11 tackles for loss and seven and a half sacks in 10 games. Um, no other individual player has more than two and a half, but that being said, eight different players have at least two or two and a half sacks each. Um, Morris also has some injury issues going on. He dressed for the Illinois game but did not play. Um, seems like he'll be back this week but not set in stone. Would be obviously another huge blow for Michigan if he can't go, but I do expect that he will be. Um, Iabi Anoba has been strong as his opposite on the D-line. Um, Anoba has ta- tallied four and a half tackles for loss, two and a half sacks on the year. 
Um, Jalen Harrell has been good off the edge as well with five and a half tackles for loss, one and a half sacks. Um, and then rounding out that D line with the tackles, um, senior nose Mozzie Smith has been a space eater, six foot three, 326 pound tackle, um, has 39 tackles on the year with two and a half for loss and half a sack. Chris Jenkins joins him at the tackle spot, ranks third on the team overall with 43 total tackles. So that entire front group is pretty strong. Um, at linebacker, the Wolverines have been led by Junior Colson, second-year guy, leads a team with 73 total tackles, and is second behind only Morris with six tackles for loss. He's a guy that the staff has been high on pretty much ever since he stepped foot on campus. Um, Michael Barrett has been his primary running mate in the middle of the defense, second on the team with 46 total tackles, also has three tackles for loss, two and a half sacks, and a pair of interceptions. So that kind of rounds out your, your front six or seven here. And then moving on to the secondary uh, safety Rod Moore has led the group in terms of interceptions with three. Uh, Makari Page and R.J. Moten have both seen time at safety opposite Moore. That duo has combined for 51 tackles. Not a ton of experience at safety overall after losing Daxon Hill at the end of last season. He was a, a bit of a do-it-all guy for this Michigan defense, but that group has been pretty solid in their own right. At nickel, converted wide receiver Mike Sanders still has done an excellent job this year. He spent his first three years in Ann Arbor as a wide receiver. He has 36 catches for 532 yards and five touchdowns in his career. He had experience playing both ways in high school, but transitioned to full-time defense ahead of the 2022 season and has done great there this year at that nickel spot. Um, DJ Turner and Will Johnson lead the way at corner. Turner has 58 total tackles on the year, 50, uh, 58 total tackles and 15 pass breakups, uh, three picks in his last two seasons at Michigan. Johnson, uh, a former five-star prospect in the 2022 class, a guy that Ohio State was heavily after, um, has a pick and two pass breakups in his first collegiate season. He's a Michigan native, so not all that surprising. He did end up with the Wolverines, but nonetheless off to a good start at this level. Nobody in the secondary really jumps off the page individually, but this is a group that ranks fifth nationally in allowing just 161.7 yards per game. It'll be a big test for C.J. Stroud, but C.J. Stroud will also be a big test for this Michigan secondary as by far the best quarterback they've seen this year. So much like we saw on the other side of the ball for these two teams, this is another truly strength-on-strength strength battle. On one side, you have you know a Michigan team that likes to run the ball against an OSU defense that stops their own well. On this side, you have an Ohio State offense that likes to throw against a Michigan defense that hasn't allowed much through the air. You know, Specifically on this defensive side, the Wolverines front will test the Ohio State offensive line. Um, you can win one-on-one -on -one matchups against the guys in the secondary, but this game plan and scheme are strong for the Wolverines. Um, who knows who will even be running the football for the Buckeyes on Saturday. We haven't even gotten to that yet, but I think Ohio State's run game will be super important here in helping to set up the pass more, and you just you can't really afford to get one-dimensional against a defense of this caliber. So even if, you know, like we've said earlier in the year, Ohio State kind of needs to run their offense in reverse, use the pass to set up the run, but if one of those two isn't working, then it, it could be tough against this, this Michigan defense because it is, you know, while they haven't faced the stiffest competition in the world, it is a genuinely good group, and they're coached up very well. Absolutely. Somehow, some way, statistically speaking, this defense is better than they were last year, despite all the losses and high draftees. Um, and not a knock on the guys they do have, but this unit this year does not have the same star power. However, it's been a total group effort and they have remained very healthy, which helps some just absolute monsters up front. And I think it starts there with Morris and Smith. Like literally the world's biggest and most productive duo up front. You know, Morris is six six, I think, six seven, leads the team with seven and a half sacks. Health to be seen, but it it's it seems like he's trending towards playing. Um Mozzie Smith is the the superstar for me. And it's not 
it's not the stats. It's just the fact that he's so big. He's so athletic. He requires consistent double teams and sort of opens it up for his teammates. He's tough to deal with at 6'3", 340. And like I said, he's, he's a dude who can move at that speed. And Chris Jenkins is another guy. Third on the team in tackles from his interior spot, which is somewhat impressive. He's another guy to look out for. Credit where credit is due. Outside of Smith, um, the guys up front were not the biggest recruits, but Harbaugh's staff has developed them into just a really strong, cohesive unit. I I would have expected a drop-off, a significant drop-off after last year. Losing Aiden Hutchinson, losing David Ojabo. You know, Mike Morris had... I think like a half a career sack coming into this season. And he has just, you know, developed quickly, suddenly, you know, kind of right before our eyes. So uh, a dangerous, dangerous unit up there. I think they're definitely going to challenge the Ohio state offensive line. I have all the faith in the world in, you know, Dewan Jones and Paris Johnson jr. And the guys in the interior, but it's going to be an absolute battle for them. And we don't know what Ohio state is going to have at the right guard spot. Right. Matt Jones was carted out or carted off the field. Um, I, I think Enoch Vamihi is probably the favorite to start just because he has played more of that guard position. But Josh Fryer filled in admirably at tackle. Whoever those five guys are, they're going to be in, you know, for a war. That is an absolute certainty. Uh, at linebacker for the Wolverines, you've got Barrett, who's been around for a while. I think he's a fifth-year guy. Sneaky good in 2020. Took a bit of a step back last year, now second on the team uh, in tackles. And he has two picks. Only 46 tackles, though. Like If you look top to bottom and number of tackles, total tackles does not necessarily mean anything, but... You know, for your second leading tackler to only have 46 tackles, it's like, is that just because you're constantly getting off the field after, you know, three downs? Or is it just because they don't have a air quote superstar? I'm not sure. Again, it's no knock on him. Uh, he plays next to Colson, who is an he, he's a dude, right? You could see it as a true freshman last year, leads the team in tackles by a large margin, six tackles for loss. That's a good unit they've got. And then I'm with you with the secondary, a solid group, but I would not call them superstars. Not sure if the numbers are indicative of the Wolverines, like a uh, DB talent or the teams they have played, right? So they're only allowing 162 passing yards per game. But if you look at their schedule, again, they have not played the most prolific passing offenses. Now, you can look at the Penn State game. They gave Sean Clifford all sorts of trouble, and Talia Tagovailoa did not play particularly well. But I'm not comparing secondaries here. I'm just talking about the Michigan secondary here. And it's like, okay, outside of those teams, though, you're talking about Iowa and Illinois and the high school teams they played in the non-con. So they absolutely have not been tested in a way that I think that CJ Stroud and the Buckeyes will test them. <clears throat> Excuse me. So definitely something to look out for. Rod Smith is that playmaker though, with the three picks. I like what San is doing as a converted wide receiver and the cornerbacks again, maybe they're not superstars or superstars yet, but Will Johnson could be, and he's a big dude, right? 6'3". Maybe he bodies up Marvin Harrison Jr. And DJ Turner does have eight pass breakups. So 
enough experience back there despite the losses of guys like Dax Hill and then uh, obviously up front too. But the numbers are the numbers, right? First in overall defense. I, th- I had them as second in scoring defense. You said first. I- I'm not sure. I could be wrong. Doesn't matter at this point, right? They're one of the elite, elite defenses in college football. They have not faced a test like they're going to see um, on Saturday, but they could def- they could absolutely make life difficult for the Buckeyes, especially if they are unable to run the ball. Ohio State, I'm speaking of. Um, if it's all on C.J. Stroud's shoulders, I think that he is capable of beating <clears throat> just about you know any team in college football. But that's a big ask, and he's you know maybe not been at his absolute sharpest the last couple weeks. I, I think he needs to be close to that for Ohio State to have its best chance at winning this one. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, while we're on this side of the ball, you know, you mentioned the Matt Jones injury. He's been dealing with injuries seemingly all year. It does sound like, you know, if he can't go, it'll either be, you know, Enoch Famahi or they'll move Josh Fryer inside. Um, And, of course, the injuries, you know, you look at some of the skill positions here for Ohio State. We don't know the status for Travion Henderson or Mayan Williams. Um, I would be a little surprised if Travion Henderson plays this week. I think, if anything, you will see, you know, Mayan Williams. And if, you know, almost most likely at this point, you'll see mostly Dallin Hayden. You know, Ryan Day was asked in his presser today if it was worth, you know, playing a fully healthy Hayden over, you know, his banged up guys that are supposed to be ahead of him in the depth chart. And Day basically said, yeah, you know, it is worth a shot because of how, you know, well he played against Maryland last week. So a lot of question marks in Ohio State's running back room. And then on top of that, you know, the the story of the year, will Jackson Smith and Jigba play in this game? It doesn't really sound likely, but maybe, you know, Ohio State's keeping it under wraps. Maybe you will see JSN play a little bit in this game, even if nothing else, you know, as a decoy, I wouldn't be totally stunned if JSN played in this game. You know, I'd probably give it like a, a 20, 25% chance at best that he does. I would be stunned. I would be stunned, Gene. I would be stunned. Yeah. I mean, it would be pretty surprising. I, I'm not expecting it by any means. If he does take the field, I'll be like, huh, that's that's pretty, you know, that that's cool. That's fun. And obviously it would add a huge dynamic to this Ohio State offense that's already very good through the air. But nonetheless, injuries on both sides um, at some pretty key spots. But yeah, you know, this is... This is the toughest test for both of these squads, respectively. This is the best defense Ohio State's gone up against. This is the best offense Michigan's gone up against. So, um, you know, this is what happens when you're, you're two of the top teams in the country going up against each other in the last game of the year. You know, not a lot of huge tests up to this point. This is the biggest one, uh, you know, clearly of anything these two teams have faced. As we said before, you know, we don't really know a ton about either of these teams based on their competition. It's hard to compare schedules when the teams play so differently, but... I'm, you know, I'm, I'm cautiously excited, cautiously optimistic about this one. I feel like, you know, Ohio State's done and said all the right things up to this point. They made the moves in the offseason they needed to make, whether it be, you know, coaching hires or personnel decisions. It seems like they've gotten that all figured out, whereas they didn't have any of that figured out last time these two teams met. Obviously, it being in Columbus is another huge, you know, feather in Ohio State's cap. So, um, I don't know, Josh, how are you feeling just, you know, after we've gone through, you know, looking at what these two teams have on the field, looking at some of the stats and whatnot, how are you, you know, feeling about this matchup? You know, I feel like I'm going to flip flop every single day on this from now until Saturday. But as of this current moment, how are we feeling? Sick. I still feel sick just the way I did an hour ago when we started. (laughs) No, but um, Gene, for me. For me, it comes down to quarterback play. And I know that seems like a a canned response, a generic answer. But what I mean by that is it. So if CJ Stroud and JJ McCarthy both play well, I think it's advantage Ohio State. 
Whereas if they both play fine, I think it might be advantage Michigan. What I mean by that is J.J. McCarthy does not carry the water for his offense, right? It's the running game. So if he's not at his sharpest, they can, you know, Michigan can take the ball out of his hands a little bit. And so if he throws, you know, for a buck 50, a tutty and an interception, like <clears throat> uh, I, I think Michigan still has a chance. I think they're, they're still in the game as long as they have some healthy running backs. Whereas on the flip side, if, CJ Stroud throws for 303 scores. I feel really good because nobody has done that against a Michigan team that may or may not be offensively challenged. However, if he puts up, I, I, I don't know, 225 yards and one touchdown and one interception, they don't, Ohio State doesn't really take the ball out of his hands, especially with less than perfect health at running back. And so as great as Dallin Hayden was and can be, you know, let's face it. Look, he's not a healthy Blake Corum. Not yet. Um, he's probably not a Donovan Edwards yet. Although I just, like I said, I love the dude, but so that's why I think it comes down to quarterback play. I, I don't know that everything needs to be on the shoulders of CJ Stroud here, but I do think that he needs to play well, and I think he's perfectly capable of it. Um, but if he struggles, Ohio State could be in you know, a real battle because Michigan can play ugly, whereas we have not seen Ohio State beat a good team ugly. You know, the Northwestern game was ugly, but, it, you know, weather and this, that, and the other, um, they they don't muck it up. That's not their style. I, I think they can be capable of it, but it's just that's not where they're at their best. They're at their best when C.J. Stroud is cooking. He's able to find a bunch of wide receivers. And so, yeah, for me, I think it comes down to quarterback play and, you know, in tandem, I guess, wide receiver play, which sounds maybe sort of odd at this juncture, given what we've seen from Ohio State's wide receivers. But Emeka Buka had a, a few quiet weeks, right? And Julian Fleming has had the occasional issue with catching contested passes. They need to be on it, I think, because I, I do not think Ohio State is going to run for, you know, 250 yards in this one. Even if they are somewhat successful, I, I don't think that's running it down the throat of Michigan. They're just too good up front. So it's going to be a total team effort. I, I am cautiously optimistic like you are right now but you know it's like we both talked about earlier my, my nerves are going to be shot I, I certainly do not f have the utmost confidence right now maybe I will as we get later in the week I would feel more confident if I knew Blake Corum wasn't going to play and Mike Morris might not be at 100% and, and, and things like that but it's sort of a crappy feeling if I'm being completely honest with you yeah, see, my biggest fear coming into this game actually has nothing to do with any of the players on the field. It is actually, um, does big game Ryan Day show up? And, you know, most people, you know, you think big game Ryan Day, oh, that's good. No, big game Ryan Day is very, very bad. Um, when, when Ohio State plays in a lot of these big games, he's had this tendency to, you know, kind of turtle up, play very conservative, have some questionable play calls, sort of outthink himself and not just run what, you know, everyone knows will work. You know, we've seen it against 
some of Ohio State's biggest opponents this year. You look at the Penn State game um, and the way that they kind of refused to attack the middle of the field, even though it was open the entire afternoon. Just things like that, small things like that, that hasn't cost them yet this year. Um, could cost them against a team like Michigan. You know, you look at some of the other big games Ohio State has played in under Ryan Day, and and sometimes they've just come in like woefully under underprepared. You look at last year's, you know, Oregon and Michigan games last year were both like that. Um, the national championship game against Alabama was like that. Um, he's had the tendency to not really show up in these big games, and obviously, you know, this is one where Ohio State has been preparing for a while. And I think that, you know, this compares somewhat to that Clemson game where Ohio State got their revenge and won that game. Where Ohio, and, you know, Ryan, they was kind of planning for that the entire year. Um, this has the similar feeling of that. So maybe he does come out with a good game plan, but he cannot afford to come out, run some questionable play calls, you know, remain stubborn in his stuff. Because, you know, if you fall down in this game, you know, 14 nothing, 17 nothing, or not even 17 nothing, but just by 14 or 17 points or something like that, it's going to be tough to crawl back against this Michigan defense, regardless of how good Ohio State's offense is playing. So, um, that is kind of my big concern here. Does Ryan Day uh, come into this game with it, you know, a good game plan? Does he have his guys ready to go? Um, because if he doesn't, then there's going to be a lot of questions this offseason. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. Um, I think he probably would be questioned, and I certainly agree with you that you know we as Ohio State fans do not want to see the Buckeyes fall behind. But you know if. Ohio State, heaven forbid, were to lose this game. I I just don't think it's going to be because Ryan Day did not have a good game plan. I There's so much on the line here. He's a prideful guy. He uh, does his job with a chip on his shoulder. We've seen that numerous times from him. So, you know, pardon my language a little bit. I I think he puts it on the table. You know what I mean? I I think that he he has something to prove. And I not to me. Uh, I am in the Ryan Day hive and I I really hope that the vast majority of Ohio State fans are. But I I think he wants to prove it to himself, you know? No Ohio State coach wants to lose two of these games in a row. No Ohio State coach wants to be, you know, on the precipice of a college football playoff and fail to make it there or get bumped out because they lost to Michigan. Um, you know, it's something that I, I can imagine if it were to come to fruition, he would have trouble sleeping for a long, long time. But if, like I said, if Ohio state were to lose, I, I don't think it's going to be squarely on Ryan day. I think it would be a combination of, you know, maybe he has a couple play calls that are questionable, but I think it would also have to be combined with poor execution um, and just a number of other factors. You know, I'm looking at the weather right now. It, it's not going to be cold here in Columbus. It's supposed to be like 50, 51 degrees as a high, but it is supposed to rain. I don't know if that makes it an ugly game. If it becomes ugly, you you know, fairly have to say that, Michigan favors that style or prefers that style. Not that Ohio state is incapable of playing well in that sort of weather, you know, um, rain depending, you know, varying levels is, is different than 30, 40 mile an hour winds that we saw at times at Northwestern. So it, a lot of things are going to go into this game. That's, you know, stating the obvious, but I do think that Ryan day 
will have his guys ready. And I think the loss last year will serve as motivation and not to knock some of the former coaches, but I think Jim Knowles, Justin Fry, some of those other guys have brought a certain mentality, a toughness to this team that was needed. Um, Perry Eliano and Tim Walton, I don't know how, really, you don't know how much, you know, any of these guys have coached in huge games, but Perry Eliano coached in a college football playoff. You know, Jim Knowles beat Notre Dame in, in a big bowl game last year. They're clearly at Ohio State now, and they've played against your Penn States and your Notre Dames and things like that. So I don't believe that they will turtle up. But yeah, man, it, it, it's a big ask, and it should be um, to beat the number three team in the country in a big rivalry game. But I, I think and I hope that all of those guys, players included, will be up to the task. Yeah, I, I just don't I don't think they could afford any excuses this year. You know, there were a lot last year for one reason or another, but I don't think you can you can look at the weather, you can look at the injuries. Both teams are dealing with the same thing come Saturday. Um so I don't think you could really take that and you know, on paper, you look at these two teams and you know, by recruiting rankings at the very least, Ohio State is the more talented team on paper. So if you go out, you know, you lose second year in a row to your biggest rival. Um, I think questions are, are rightfully deserved, but hopefully it, it doesn't come to that. I, you know, I'm obviously rooting for Ryan Day to win this game. I want Ohio State to win and then go on to win a national title, but it is a, a concern of mine based on some you know prior trends. But hopefully Ryan Day proves me wrong, proves you know Jim Harbaugh's born on third base comments wrong, um, proves all of the doubters wrong in this one, and Ohio State emerges victorious and gets back on top in this rivalry. So that being said, Josh, let's make our score predictions and then get the heck out of here and spend the rest of our week biting our fingernails in anticipation of kickoff. All right, man. Uh, you want me to go first? Uh, I'll go first if you want. I'll, I'll make my prediction here. I go have it. it. So the betting line in this game opened at around 10. It's somewhere between 8 and you know 9, 9.5 now, depending on where you're looking. Um, I have this as a, a 38-27 Ohio State win. I think it's a very close game. I think it's a hard-fought game. I don't think either team eclipses the 40-point mark. I think both defenses are too good. Um, but I do think Ohio State just, you know, with everything in their favor, you know, coming off the fire of that last loss, being at home, you know, everything they have to prove in this game, as we've, you know, discussed to here, you know, a potentially hobbled, I think, you know, Blake Horam also plays a role here. But I think at the end of the day, Ohio State's run defense is vastly improved from what it was last year. And that was the main flaw in last year's game. I think the, the you know, Ohio State's offense is more or less comparable to last year's, um, even without Jack Smith and Jigba, even if all of their running backs aren't healthy. I think it's more or less, you know, comparative. And I think that, you know, could Ohio State gotten a stop or two last year, they probably still at least are in a, a position to win that football game at the end. So I think Ohio State gets it done this time around. They get on top of the rivalry that, you know, they advance to the Big Ten title game. I have it 38-27. I'm, you know, I'll, I'll flip-flop, like I said, all week on how I feel about this game. But at this current moment, that is that is the way I'm leaning. Not surprisingly, we're pretty close here. Um, I don't think Ohio State covers. I think that it is a nerve-wracking game uh, during which I might lose every hair on my head. But I, I do think Ohio State comes away from this one victorious. I will say 34-31 Ohio State. Um, I, I I hope it's not a last-second field goal. That's the difference. Give me a little bit more breathing room, but I think it's close throughout. I think Ohio State finds a way at home. That cannot be discounted. You know, playing in the shoe, playing in Columbus, that atmosphere is going to be electric. So I think Ohio State wins a, a close one. And look, if the final were three to two, Ohio State, 
I would be elated. That's all I need is a one point victory. I don't care how it looks. I don't care what the score is. Um, just give me a one point victory. Like I said earlier, uh, on another podcast, that's my, my ask for Christmas is an Ohio state win in this game. I hope I've been good this year. I hope Santa Claus is watching and listening. Um, so give me Ohio state in a close one. Yeah, this is this is certainly not a game to rack up the style points. This is a go in, handle business, escape with your lives, and move on for you know for the next one in Indianapolis. So yeah, that'll that'll be it for us. The next time you hear from us, we will either be really happy or really sad, depending on the outcome of the game on Saturday. But nonetheless, um, we will have a ton of coverage leading up into this game over at LandGrantHoyland.com. So be sure to check out all of that for all of your you know the game content as well as you know we obviously have. Uh, the basketball season going on, the Maui Invitational going on, so check in on all of our basketball coverage. We've also got a, done a pretty good job this year of women's basketball coverage, so shout out to Thomas for taking the lead on that. So for any of your Ohio State athletic uh, news and whatnot, be sure to check out the site. Um, be sure to like, rate, view, subscribe, all that good stuff, all the podcasts ask you to do. Um, and for Josh Julie, I am Gene Ross, and this week more than ever, of course, go Bucks.